Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Glad that you're here today. There should be an insert in your program, um, and you can follow along with me as uh, we hop back into our study in Romans, and this will be the last time that I say we're hopping back into because we are, for those of you who know Romans, know it's got 16 chapters, and this is the last portion of the Romans series. For some of you are like, finally, it's over. I know some of you like these in-depth things, but we've been in and out of it for a, a couple of years and taking breaks, and uh, hopefully it's been something that has encouraged you to do a deeper dive within Romans. A good way to think about this series is when, this, when Romans is over, spring is just around the corner. Think of that. It's going to be like the middle of March when we wrap this up five or six weeks here in this uh, last half of chapter 15 and then all of chapter 16. And when we're done, uh, I know there's still some bad weather in March and April, but, you know, there's hope. I was thinking last night, it was like 5.30, and uh, it was pretty sunny out right last night, and it was about 5.30 last night. I'm like, wow, it's still light out. It's 5.30 because, you know, we're starting to get those longer days, and pretty not too long from now, the, you know, we'll spring forward. And so there is hope on the horizon, at least with the weather. And we know we have hope, of course, uh, that is beyond that. Uh, but we want to we wanna wrap this up and wrap it up well. When you think about the, the book of Romans, which was actually a letter to people that really uh, Paul had uh, predominantly n never met. He didn't found this church. He wasn't uh, necessarily a pastor the, uh, of this church. But he was, he was one who spent probably like maybe the first 11 chapters of this letter. You know, it, when Paul wrote it, it didn't have ch these chapter designations, right? Those, those came later for us and our ability to reference things. But if, when you break it down, those first 11 chapters are really kind of like uh, we, you could call them the great exposition, some scholars call it. It's like Paul's really in-depth teaching for those first 11 chapters. And then the next three and a half chapters from chapter 12, 13, 14, and, and then half of 15, it's kind of like the great exhortation. So all of that is over. And in fact, his readers might have thought with the two benedictions he offered in, in chapter 15, verse 5 and verse, verse 13, you can see those. They might have thought that his letter was wrapping up, but he's not finished yet. He intends to return kind of to the question of his relationship with the, with the uh, Roman church. And he opened that up earlier in, in chapter 1. He wants to take them uh, basically kind of into his confidence about, about the salient characteristics of his ministry. Uh, salient uh, is a word that means uh, basically something that's noteworthy or important or noticeable. And so, very, in, in, in a sense, somewhat obviously. And so he's going to talk about the characteristics of his ministry. And this is going to throw some light on uh, for them on why he has not yet visited them, but his uh, uh, plan to do so. So as he gets started in this portion of the letter, he's first going to wonder whether or not they may have been uh, offended by the fact of his letter, by the contents of his tone. And, and it seems like Paul is somewhat wondering have I, have I been too presumptuous to address a church in this way that I didn't found and I've never visited? Has he given the impression that he regards the, the, their sort of uh, Christianity, their faith as defective or immature? Has he been too outspoken? Sometimes in ministry, 
for those of you who have done some teaching ministry or uh, led others in, this, in spiritual development, there is that, that sort of thing where you reflect back on what you said or how you interacted and you wonder, was it right that I said that? Should I have presented that in a different way? Could I have handled that situation in a, be, in a better manner? And Paul's doing some of that introspective ref, uh, reflection right now. He seems to be experiencing, if you will, just a just a twinge of apprehension about how his letter to them is going to be received. And so he, he basically, in the rest of this letter, is seeking to disarm them, to reassure them. He writes very personally. He writes very uh, affectionately. He writes very candidly. If you will, in this last portion, Paul opens his heart up about, about the, the, the past of, of his ministry, the present, and also the future of his ministry. And he, he asks them for their prayers. He, he sends them many greetings. We're going to see that. And he, he basically is, is trying to give them insight into the outworking of God's providence in his life and in the life of his ministry. That's kind of like what this section is all about. So hopefully some of those themes you'll be able to observe as we move through it. Uh, passage by passage. And we're going to begin today, as you can see on the back of your notes, by looking at verse 14, beginning there in chapter 15, and then reading down through verse 21. So on your app, in your Bible, off that insert, follow along with me. I'm going to read those uh, verses, and then we'll jump off from there, okay? My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles, by the, mirac- by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. Let's pray for just a second. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of this letter that uh, written many, many years ago in a much different context than what we live in to a different people than us, but we believe, God, by faith that you have preserved and superintended and inspired those very words that Paul wrote to the Roman believers so that they today stand as your word to us as well. And so as we get a glimpse into Paul's relationship with his readers, as we get a glimpse into his ministry, we pray, God, that you would be our teacher today. We pray that we we would hear from your Holy Spirit and we pray that as we, as we learn these things, like as Dan prayed, that it wouldn't just be about more information we know about Paul's relationship with those Roman Christians or more information about his ministry, but that it might change something about our lives, our everyday practical reality right here, right now, today. 
So we pray these things, God, and we offer it up to you for your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's two basic headings, as you can see in your, note, see in your insert there. First, we're going to take a look at these notes to his readers that Paul offers up in the first couple of verses. And then after that, we're going to look at this description of his ministry that offers an insight into these characteristics of how he sees what God has called him to do and why he's doing those things. So, so the first are these notes to his readers. And he begins, as we saw in four, uh, verse 14, where he says, I myself am convinced about you. Notice here that he's saying that, the, that he is commending them, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. So Paul, like uh, many good teachers, begins this portion of his letter when he's going to try, to try to more deeply connect with them by offering them affirmation. And if you read Paul's letters, whether it's to Galatia or Ephesus or Corinth, not so much in Corinth, but he does still offer a little bit. In nearly every letter that Paul writes to, church, to churches, he offers affirmation. He wants them to know, this is where you're doing well. This is where you're knocking it out. I, I appreciate, and, and he's, and he's very, they're very clear about the fact that they are doing some wonderful things, that they're full of goodness. They're filled with all knowledge. They have the ability to instruct one another. And so, again, you can kind of see that twinge of maybe he's thinking, why is this guy even writing us? We don't really, we know of him, but he didn't start our church. He's not a local leader here. He's like a, an, an expert over the, the big church, and he's this guy that we've heard about all these things that he's done, but he's writing to us, and he, and he, and he begins by saying, listen, I know that in regards to your spiritual development, you guys are doing well. You are walking faithfully. You are full of goodness. You have, this, you have this knowledge base, and in fact, a knowledge base so much so that you have everything you need to be able to instruct one another. And so then the question might be, well, then why is Paul writing? If they have the ability to instruct one another, why does he need to waste so, many, so much paper and ink? Why does he need to waste so much thought in this letter? And he's going to then come to that second note to his readers. That second note to his readers is, I'm going to offer you some additional challenge. And so he says to them, again, back in verse 15, he has written to remind them boldly on some points because of the grace given to him by God as a minister of the gospel. He is writing because part of that, there is a great emphasis placed by the apostles on what you could call their reminding ministry. <laughs> So much of spiritual leadership, in fact, parenting of any sort, whether it be spiritual parenting or literal parenting, offering any sort of leadership, so many times what we offer is reminding people of things that they already know. Reminding them of who they are in Christ. Reminding them of what God has done for them. Reminding them of what their destiny is. Reminding them of what God has called from them. It's oftentimes not about offering new information. There are times when, when Paul and other apostolic leaders, and even in the church that we're, uh, today, not saying that there isn't ever any new information that is kind of eye-opening for us, but predominantly it's reminding, 
such a common theme in all of Scripture, especially in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, is remember, 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 be reminded. And Paul's doing this. This reminding ministry was such a, a strong uh, a, a characteristic of the, of the apostles. And so he is saying to them, I'm writing to remind you a little more boldly on some points. It's kind of like, it, it, it really flows with the nature of Paul. Paul does this same kind of thing when he says to people, you are holy. That's, a, that's affirming, right? When the apostolic leader says to you, you know who you are, right? You know that you're not holy. But when he reminds you that you are holy in Christ Jesus, but then he says, therefore, be holy. That's that challenge. And so he's saying to them, you guys are doing great. You're walking in, in, in such a, a, a great uh, kind of manner of goodness and knowledge. And you're doing, you have the ability to be able to come alongside one another and really encourage and instruct one another and prod one another along. But I, I'm going to step in here. I do have something to say. And the thing that I'm going to say is going to kind of try to challenge you to live more boldly in this reality. It's interesting to me that the very thing that Paul's doing by offering affirmation as challenge is the same kind of thing that Jesus himself did. You've heard me use these words, invitation and challenge, not an invitation and affirmation are, are two, you know, kind of like, kind of like uh, they're not exactly the same thing, but they're at least cousins. And Jesus did that sort of thing when he led his followers. He was very affirming to them. He was very gentle with them. He was very inviting. They, he invited them to be with him. And in, in, in inviting them to be with him, that was an affirming act in and of itself because they recognized, they came to understand who he was and the incredible privilege it was for them to be in relationship with him. But he didn't just leave it there. He was challenging them, right? Come, follow me, be with me. To do what? To be fishers of men. I will teach you how to be fishers of men. And so he had, at various times, the, uh, the times where he would offer challenge to them while he was consistently inviting them into this relationship. And this is the same kind of thing that Paul is doing here, where he's offering this affirmation and encouragement, and, and you know, get, giving them that, that positive reinforcement for where they're doing, what they're doing well, but also saying, it's still right for me to write, no W, <laughs> for me to write with a W to you and offer you these bold reminders of how you can continue to grow in the faith. From that then, Paul is going to jump to talk about himself. More notably, he's going to talk about his ministry. He's going to begin to describe his ministry to them, and he wants them to understand exactly what has been going on. And, and he kind of gives an insight to that, as we saw in that last verse. Because of the grace given to me by God, he had this apostolic authority, according to verse 16, uh, the first half of verse 16. And so then he begins to describe his ministry. And very interestingly, even though he is the apostle to the Gentiles, this is an interesting little flip, and the Gentiles wouldn't have had a background in the priestly sort of system of what existed in Judaism. He says about himself that his ministry is priestly. Check it out, if you will, in verse 16. I'll pick it up there. He says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering, sanctified, by the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying here that he regards his missionary work as priestly because 
he is able to offer his Gentile converts up to God as a living sacrifice to him. It is not, as some, some commentators suggest, and I, I would say that I would have to disagree with this, some commentators suggest it, that it, it is, his ministry is enabling them to offer themselves up to God. But it seems the emphasis here is instead Paul saying, I am a priest to the Gentiles in that as they respond to the gospel, I then am able to offer them up as part of my ministry as an acceptable offering to God. He himself is presenting the sacrifice. Through the gospel, this became his, his offering. And notice the allusions to this whole sacrificial system. He says they will be an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so all of those illusions, something be, being, an acceptable, being acceptable to God, something be, being a sacrifice to God, the idea of sanctified or set apart, all are images and realities and nuances of a ministry that is priestly. And so Paul then is saying, I am functioning as a priest by being a minister to the Gentiles so that those who were excluded from the kingdom of God. He alludes to that in that last, in that very last verse. Those who had been excluded from the kingdom of God are now presented to God through the ministry of the gospel. They now, I present them as, a, as an offering that is acceptable to him, that is holy, set apart by him because of the work of the gospel that my life has been committed to. So Paul is a priestly minister of the gospel. Secondly, hopefully you can see that there is a supernatural aspect to Paul's ministry. This is not Paul being Paul. His ministry is not about his talent, his ability, his intellect. Paul was, from everything we know, Paul was one of probably the most gifted, educated, talented persons in the ancient church. But he's very clear that all of that that he received, his teaching from Gamaliel, kind of the, the Harvard of the, of the ancient world, so to speak, his upbringing as, a, as the Jew of all Jews, a Pharisee, all of these things, all of these things in a sense that were religious privilege, to use a, a word that we use today. All of those things that he had, he said, they were, they were, they were rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus, Right? And so it's all about what God instead, what, not what Paul is doing, but instead what God is doing through him. So pick this up, if you would, in, uh, in, in verse 18. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It's not what I'm doing. It's what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles. His ministry objective is clear here, right? What he ultimately wants to have are these Gentiles be obedient to God. The only way that that can happen is that he would be that minister to them so that they could become that holy, acceptable offering to God, set apart as acceptable to God in, in, in their response to the gospel. Notice that Paul says also, it is by both word and deed, the verbal and the visual. What he's saying and what he's doing is all happening. And again, don't, ignore, don't uh, skip by that uh, phrase. I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It sounds so much like another time when Paul said, 
I no longer live. But the life I live, I live by what? The power of the one who lives in me. The power of Christ's spirit himself. And so Paul's ministry is not about what he can do. It's about what Christ is doing through him. He goes on to say in verse 19, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In a sense, you could say that his reference to to power is like the character of a supernatural ministry. Miraculous signs is is the significance uh, it shows the significance of his ministry. Signs and wonders oftentimes accompany the arrival of, of, the, of God's kingdom. And so these signs and wonders that have been part of Paul's ministry are a, a representation or a, shows the, the people who are experiencing them that God's kingdom is invading the kingdom of the world, so to speak. And then, of course, the, uh, the effect of it is that people are amazed, right? So, uh, the, these wonders... People are just blown away by what's going on. So Paul in his ministry is a priest that is empowered by the spirit of God himself. Not doing these perfunctory sort of duties just because he has to. That's the difference between his priestly ministry and the priestly ministry that existed among his Jewish contemporaries. He's not just going about his everyday business as if none of this mattered. But he recognizes the unique calling that he has on his life as a minister to the gospel, a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he sees himself as having the ability to offer them up as a holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. And the only way, the only way that he can do that is that Christ would do it through him. The only way that he could do that is by the, the power of God's spirit. Sometimes in the church, I think we forget it's not about us. You know, being marketing geniuses or us, uh, you know, being, being able to, to, to be trendy and hip and have everything. And there's nothing wrong. I'm not, I'm not arguing against marketing. I'm not saying that we don't keep things fresh and up to date. And then there's nothing wrong with using technology. None of that stuff is wrong. But that's not the, the heart of who we are. That's not the heart of a, minute of a ministry. The heart of a ministry, even in, in what we see in Paul's life, is that it would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can, go to, we can go to a lot of different places and be blown away by the way it looks and the way it sounds and the way it smells and the way it feels, right? But when God's spirit is overwhelmed a people, when we no longer see ourselves as, as ourselves, but instead simply vessels through which the power of God can flow, that begins to change things. That's where we can truly begin to love our enemies, overlook sin, serve sacrificially, give sacrificially, Worship from the depth of our hearts, right? So let's be very careful to understand that this isn't just about what Paul himself is saying, but it's again about him being a model for us to recognize how we too need to live a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He, was a, he had a priestly ministry. It was a supernatural ministry. He goes on to say at the second part of that, uh, verse 19, as a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Paul's ministry was a ministry simply of the good news. There's not too much I need to say about this except to say that Paul was consumed with the gospel. He was consumed for what it had done in his life and he was consumed about being an agent of it 
wherever he would go. He was specifically under, and he he specifically understood that his calling was to be, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, to those who were not raised in the faith of Judaism. And so Paul, his one desire, his one driving central core, the core theme of his life was that he would be obsessed with the good news of Jesus Christ. It was all that he cared about. It was what drove him. It was what consumed him. He was obsessed by it. It was everything to him. The gospel was everything. And so I think in Paul's life, if it didn't help him to be a better agent of the gospel, he didn't want anything to do with it. And if it was something that was going to allow him to reach more people with the good news so that they could have the promise of eternal life and the abundant life here on earth, to usher them into the kingdom, into kingdom living, then he was all about it. The good news drove him. He was a priest offering up his minute, the results of his ministry to God, all empowered by God, rooted in the message of the gospel of God. The good news of Jesus Christ, the, the one thing, the one thing that we have to offer to the world is rooted in the good news. We have good news where there is lots of bad. The news we have to share is powerful. It's life-changing. The news that God wants to redeem us through through the sacrificial gift of his son is incredibly important for us to stay focused on as we move throughout ministry. It's clear that Paul certainly was consumed with that. The last thing about Paul's ministry I'll say today is that he says in this section, he was a priestly minister. He was uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a natural ministry built on his own ability, but it was supernatural. It was the good news. And the last thing is, it was a trailblazing ministry. It was a trailblazing ministry. Paul says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. One scholar says this, his own calling and gift as an apostle to the Gentiles were to pioneer the evangelization of the Gentile world, then leave to others the pastoral care of those churches. I think the important thing here is Paul, with clear and precise understanding, understands exactly what God has called him to do. He is going to be a trailblazer. He's going to take the gospel where it's never been before to reach Gentiles who have never heard it. And once that church has been established, what's he going to do? He's going to continue moving. And so he's going to, and, and this, this idea of this movement where he talks about this, this um, going all the way from Jerusalem all the way around to what would be kind of the southern part of the former, uh, former Yugoslavia, this kind of 1,300-mile sort of trek that he was on. Uh, it's basically his succinct kind of modest summary of 10 years of uh, strenuous apostolic ministry making up three journeys to do all of that. 
he uses Jerusalem, and some people might say, well, why did he use Jerusalem to talk about this, this, this trailblazing ministry? Because he didn't begin in Jerusalem, but the Christian mission itself began in Jerusalem. The first Christian mission kind of emanated from Antioch, but Christian mission itself began in Jerusalem. That's where the church was founded, and that's probably why Paul uses that city instead of Antioch, even though he's referring to his own personal ministry out of respect to the founding of the church, and he wasn't, at, he wasn't part of that day. But out of the respect for that, that's why he uses Jerusalem. And so in his this trailblazing ministry of his, as he was involved in these three journeys, as he traveled these uh, nearly 1,500 miles, as he did all of these things, this, this, this movement toward the gospel, it was clear that he knew exactly what God had called him to do, to take the gospel where it had not been named. And so when you, when you look at Paul's ministry here, in the, these, just these four aspects, it gives us a, a clear picture of him. It gives a clear picture of his ministry and also maybe helps us to understand a little bit about what God, is called, what God wants from us. So when you think about your ministry, when you think about any, any, any ministry in which you are involved, do you see yourself as a priest whereby the results of that ministry, whatever they might be, for Paul, it was Gentile converts. The results of that ministry is something that you are offering up to God as an acceptable sacrifice to him. You recognize that you don't do ministry in your own strength, but you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are functioning in a supernatural manner. Each and every ministry, though it may not all be like uh, taking the gospel, every aspect of ministry is not always about evangelization, but is it rooted in the gospel? Is everything you do rooted in the good news? And do you have, it may not be trailblazing like Paul's calling was, but do you have a clear picture of what God is calling from you? Paul is sharing these insights into his ministry with his ancient readers. In a way, it's kind of like him giving his CV to them. You know, he's, uh, he's almost like he's, he's sh sharing his credentials as to what God is doing through him. Again, to build a little bit more credibility as he's writing to them because he is offering them some bold reminders, even though he acknowledges that they're doing really well right now in their walk with Jesus. So as he offers this up to those readers in the ancient world, and I recognize we're not those readers, and what is the purpose for us today is maybe to see an insight into someone who leads a ministry life that is very, very clearly organized around some super important principles. And those four super important principles that come out on the second half of this passage today give us insight into, for us to think both personally and collectively as a church, how we might see our ministry in relationship to an offering acceptable to God, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, rooted in the gospel with a clear calling of this is what God wants from me. Let me pray with you. Father God, thanks for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Thanks for his candid, authentic, genuine representation of who he was and what you had called him to do. We know, Lord, that just like Paul said, those of us who are involved in spiritual leadership here at, here at Calvary could say in, in much the same way, those words of affirmation that he offered to the Romans, we could offer to the people that are part of this church. You guys are doing so well in so many ways. May we, like him, 
continue to offer reminders that would challenge growth and depth. And may we, like Paul also, have a clear understanding of what you've called us to do so that we too may offer the results of our ministry up to you. Help us, Lord, to be rooted in the gospel and filled with your Holy Spirit so that what we do is not about what we do, but it's about what you are doing through us. We thank you, Lord, for this insight into this man's ministry. We thank you that you've given it to us as a gift today, and we pray that we would walk in that, Lord, and walk, walk in obedience to it. And maybe, uh, maybe understand a little bit of personal challenge that we've received today as we think about the ministry of Paul and his relationship to those Roman believers. We offer this up to you, Lord, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.